There is more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ0419GTLL had a 2.3 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in North Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it as we kick off another week. Last week of February, hope you had a good weekend. Some mild weather over parts of the country, and we'll talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson in just a bit and get his thoughts on the forecast for the rest of February and on into March. We're going to talk trade with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council and the impact and the concerns over the spread of the coronavirus. And we'll talk with Scott Yeager with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about this new coalition of ag groups on sustainability. We'll be talking about that a little later on in the program. But we have lots to talk about with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. A lot of things going on, some things to catch up on. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Obviously, the coronavirus and the continued spread of uh, this virus to more and more countries uh, is certainly the big story. Disrupting, uh, of course, the biggest story is the impact on human health. But the other story is how it's impacting and disrupting uh, global economies. Well, absolutely. Good morning, Mike. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And as we watch the coronavirus spread in Italy and other parts of Europe uh, and, and around the globe, you can see the disruption that it's causing in supply chains. And as uh, you have consumers that aren't purchasing as much as they had previously and as the ships and containers get stuck in different ports, uh, it really is disruptive. And you've seen that over the weekend with reaction from the global stock markets as well. So I, I do think this is uh, something that's going to be stifling not over only U.S. trade with China, but more more broadly around the globe. And speaking of trade with China, at the USDA Outlook uh, conference last week, already uh, USDA was kind of looking at that and, and making its projections really. I mean, they're trying to stay optimistic about China fulfilling their obligations under the phase one trade deal. But I think even USDA realizing that might be a stretch with the all things considered this year. Well, I think it was a wake up call for everybody when USDA's chief economist, Rob Johansson predicted that in his forecast for the year, ag exports would only rise about 3% in fiscal 2020. And we all are looking for a much more robust forecast than that, of mm-hmm. course. So it really did show that as much as Secretary Purdue tried to put a good sunny spin, so to speak, on those results, um, and he's saying that he really is hopeful that we still won't need trade aid, just the day after that, you've got the president's tweet suggesting that he will be ready to offer more market facilitation program payments if some of these results don't materialize as earlier expected. I have said all along that whether or not there's an MFP payment made in this year, another round of them, 
Uh, you really all you have to do is look at the polling. I think for the the campaign, the presidential election, if it's close or getting closer, that increases the odds there will be an MFP payment. Yes, I, and I have too. As you and I have discussed on this, it just seems very likely in a year divisible by four that these sorts of payments would be made once again. Obviously, there are a lot of things that are beyond the control of a lot of governments right now when you've got this coronavirus spreading like it is. But at the same time, there are benchmarks within the agreement in phase one with China that they have to hit by a certain amount of time. And while they certainly made some very minimal progress towards that, we're all looking for much more robust results. So I think if you go into this summer, Mike, and you are not seeing the kinds of purchases that had been predicted then um, we're certainly looking at the likelihood of that increasing dramatically before the November elections. Meanwhile, the president in India, it doesn't look like they're going to be signing a trade deal, but there's still hope and optimism that uh, that could be coming down the road. Absolutely. And I read the entire speech earlier this morning, which was uh, quite dramatic in the contrast that he established between the people of India as compared to in, in the democracy in India, the booming and in the um, innovations in India as compared to uh, nearby countries such as Russia and China. He didn't mention them, but it was a clear contrast in his comments. And you're correct, they were unable to get an ag trade deal, even a mini ag trade deal, cleared before this. And it's going to be tough because there's a lot of tariffs in India and uh, unwinding that among a, a government that oversees, uh, you know, millions of farmers is, is very difficult uh, politically for this uh, Indian uh, leadership. But having said that, uh, they did purchase $3 billion in uh, military helicopters. And I think after a speech like this and perhaps a renewal of a good relationship that perhaps we can start to wear down the protectionism, and perhaps Mr. Lighthizer, our U.S. trade ambassador, can go back there and seek a better, uh, more uh, comprehensive deal than he was uh, able to do earlier. Meanwhile, your thoughts on the uh, crop insurance meeting you were at last week. Is the industry kind of bracing for yet another uh, possible attack uh, on uh, crop insurance? Uh, What was the mood there? So the mood was fairly upbeat. You know, the expansion of crop insurance is an incredible public-private partnership success story. And we are covering more and more acres and more and more crops. And uh, the expansion into specialty crop areas has been uh, very helpful, I think, to spread the political support for the program. Uh, But they know that as a result of... um, the continued criticism in Congress that by the next farm bill and even any appropriations bill, there's always individuals that want to attack this program. They think that it uh, covers too many large uh, producers, even though it covers a lot more small producers now. So I think they have a good story to tell, and they were very cognizant about the need to do more of that storytelling and, and to get the word out about how important, especially as farmers and ranchers witnessed in 2019, how important crop insurance is to their overall farm safety net. This week, we're headed to San Antonio for Commodity Classic. We'll get a chance to talk with a lot of corn, soybean, wheat, and sorghum growers about these issues. It'll be interesting to hear what they have to say. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing you there, Mike. Uh, Our team will be down there, and uh, 
We've got some really good stuff coming out in this week's newsletter as we head down on the MFP program, and we're going to be anxious to see what people are saying in reaction to that. So stay tuned, and we'll look forward to seeing you in San Antonio. Yeah, we'll be there later this week. I'll be broadcasting from Commodity Classic Thursday and Friday of this week. Uh, One other note, uh, CRP sign-up deadline coming up. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what levels they get to in, in CRP this year. Yeah, it really will be because uh, a sign-up deadline is, is Friday, and I think there's been really robust interest in having this expanded CRP once again for all those folks who have been waiting. Uh, Richard Fordyce, the Farm Service Agency Administrator, has said that he'd like to have answers to who is accepted for those enrollments by uh, the end of March. So uh, be a quick turnaround if they can make that happen. Sure will. Sarah, thanks a lot. We'll see you in San Antonio. Absolutely. Thanks. Sarah Wyan, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather with Bryce Anderson. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ1859 GTLL had a 2.9 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in South Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, you might have been like some of us uh, over the weekend, uh, guilty of having a little spring fever. It sure felt good for February in a lot of parts of the country yesterday that uh, usually aren't as mild as they were. But I guess maybe some reality coming back in here this week. Let's find out from DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, so what should we expect this week? Mike, we're going to have a new round of colder air coming in during the balance of the week, and that's going to be a a real change, obviously, from this past weekend. And over the uh, over portions of the northern plains, that colder air is going to be accompanied by a pretty good snowstorm, especially here in the uh, t- uh, next 24 hours on Monday through Tuesday, uh, because there could be a snowfall west of the Missouri River of anywhere from three to six inches, and along with that, uh, winds in the uh, neighborhood of 30 to 50 miles an hour. So when you start getting that uh, combination of some colder air, snow, and the strong winds, there could be some blizzard conditions formed in that northwestern plains region. And farther east, uh, lighter snow and uh, still on the cold side, but not uh, nearly as stormy on the winter storm uh, situation. But by the end of the week, uh, in the northern plains and in the upper Midwest, we're going to see low temperatures get down into the, into the single digits to around zero. Uh, farther to the south, uh, the central and southern Midwest, uh, there's uh, rain going on in the southern Midwest right now uh, that is uh, leading to more concern about the uh, wet ground and potential flooding. And as we go through uh, this week, uh, there's going to be uh, some additional rounds of precipitation, maybe not a, a real uh, heavy uh, round of activity, but 
um, there still could uh, be, a, you know, an occasional uh, localized uh, shot of inch plus uh, precipitation. And uh, following that, uh, the trend is uh, promising that during the uh, six to ten day period, we could see the moisture redevelop uh, because there's going to be yet another round of uh, troughing out of the Pacific that's going to make camp. So it's uh, it's an energetic week, and that's putting it mildly uh, that we're looking at uh, energetic week to ten days with uh, stormy conditions. And then a little bit of a quieter trend, but not lasting very long. And then the storm uh, cycle kind of uh, reestablishes itself. I hear some roaring of the lion for the start of March. Is, that, is March going to start off like a lion? Well, I think, uh, I think certainly on the colder side it will. And, um, you know, the, the first couple of days maybe look a little bit on a, a quieter note in terms of precipitation. But that could change pretty quickly. And, um, and and that's a, a real cautionary point because, as we all know, uh, there's a lot of wet ground, very wet soils. Uh, flooding has been a big issue in the Delta and in the southern Midwest over the last uh, several days, particularly in the uh, central Delta. Uh, those growers in that part of the country would like to get into the field. I've been uh, at the mid-February farm show in Louisville, Kentucky, long enough to know that because, you know, I talk to growers uh, from the Delta who say that pretty much after that mid-February time frame, they think about uh, starting up, but uh, it's going to be a a real uh, challenge because of uh, how persistently stormy things have been on top of already wet ground. It's just hard to shake the impact of that terrifically uh, wet year that we had a year ago. That uh, is not going away in just a short period of time. Yeah, the last few days I've been crossing some rivers, and wow, water's really high on those rivers, and here we are late February, and we've been talking about it. You know, it, they can't hold much more as we head into spring. Boy, they really can't, and and uh, during during my uh, my time on uh, the, the speaker uh, schedule in Louisville, I mentioned uh, the the fact that the uh, river levels are high, the carrying capacity of the uh, river uh, valleys, and uh, the the uh, immediate system has been uh, pretty well already taken up. You know, because we haven't had an ebb and, and flow in the uh, river and stream levels uh, during much of this past winter. And uh, if there was one comment that got everybody's attention, it was that because I just did a you know quick look around the room, and we had we had nice uh, nice groups there to uh, talk to, good sized, and uh, boy, in just about every row there was somebody nodding their head in agreement uh, with that particular comment. So it is indeed a widespread concern. You know, on the rivers, usually January, February, we're talking about icing conditions. We've talked more about high uh, water levels than we have icing this winter. Yes, we have. Uh, this this winter has been notably warmer than a year ago, and uh, and that's that's uh, you know kept the uh, the flow in place. But you know, along with that, Mike, it hasn't been real dry. Uh, there's been a fair amount of precipitation in in much of the northern and north central U.S. during uh, this uh, winter season, and so that's uh, kept those uh, river banks full. And then, of course, the uh, saturated soils mean that the um, the the in the inner portion 
of the soil profile is contributing moisture to the river systems as well. And so that adds to this kind of a load that we are seeing. All right, let's uh, switch down to South America. What's their weather like? The, uh, the scenario in, in Brazil and Argentina is just kind of uh, locked in place right now. It's uh, pretty remarkable. Northern and central Brazil continue to get uh, periods of rain, but, uh, you know, not real widespread frontal boundary type rainfall. And uh, it hasn't uh, caused a real problem with uh, harvest in Brazil. Mato Grosso's uh, right around three-quarters harvested on the soybean crop. And uh, the moisture is still favorable for the uh, second crop corn, the safrina crop, to get uh, going and uh, get up and, and uh, produce, uh, you know, some good growth on the, uh, on the second crop corn. Southern Brazil and Argentina are dry, and at this point the temperatures are cool. But, you know, if Argentina keeps going over the next 10 days with this dry pattern, they haven't had a whole lot of rain in the last week. Crops are filling. We know they need moisture. And if this continues to happen, Mike, it uh, could start uh, raising some concern about just how well that Argentina crop is going to produce when it's all said and done. Yeah, that'll be a story to watch for sure. Uh, Any other uh, big weather events around the world in key markets and key producing areas? Well, just to note that over in the Black Sea region, uh, Ukraine has been quite uh, dry in terms of its winter precipitation, and the soil moisture is not in good supply over there. Uh, there could be a, a round or two of rainfall in the next week that could bring up to an inch of total precipitation to Ukraine. This could be wa- uh, worth watching because the, um, you know, obviously the Black Sea region has become a, a very uh, uh, a very significant uh, competitor in the world grain trade, and uh, they certainly could use the moisture to keep that kind of robust production up that they've uh, had a run of over the last few years. All right, so again, back here, as you said, uh, we should brace ourselves for some uh, stormy weather uh, here in the next couple of weeks. That's the way things are, are playing out, and along with that, uh, temperatures are going to have a general tendency to be on the uh, colder side, and uh, so that is still going to be uh, fairly uncomfortable to get into the month of March. And this could be pretty widespread, this uh, system that will be moving through? It does look like that, uh, because there's, uh, there's going to be uh, upper air troughing, uh, in the upper atmosphere, pretty much running from the south central plains in Kansas and Oklahoma all the way north into North Dakota. So it's going to uh, cover quite a bit of the interior of the country. All right. So we'll kind of brace for that. And, uh, well, the calendar says we're getting closer to spring, but uh, a lot of concerns building. Uh, as we've talked about, uh, Bryce, it looks like wet conditions will be the big concern as we head towards planting time. Yeah, it's a real tense time, and and, uh, I'm interested to see how people are reacting when I go to Commodity Classic this week. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of of, uh, nervousness, a lot of anxiety on the part of uh, conversation with uh, growers about that. Yep, I will see you in San Antonio this week. Sounds good. Yeah, and uh, at least in San Antonio, weather should be pretty tolerable there. Well, let's hope. I was just there a couple weeks ago, and I brought cold weather down there for that. So hopefully with you there this time, maybe we'll have a better chance of some warmer weather. I hope so. We'll see you there. Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Yeah, we'll be broadcasting from San Antonio Commodity Classic Thursday and Friday.
So we'll have a chance to talk with corn growers, soybean growers, wheat growers, sorghum growers at that at that event. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. His thoughts on trade with China, the impact of coronavirus, uh, what's going on uh, with Europe with, as they're battling African swine fever as well, and uh, what about chances of a trade deal with them, and the, the possibilities of a trade deal at some point with India, what that could mean for the U.S. pork industry. All that coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the new spectrum of hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide. A new formulation makes it brutal on yellow foxtail, foxtail barley, and other tough grasses. Everest 3.0 gets the weeds you see and the ones you know are coming with flush after flush control. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Wave after wave of grassy weed domination. Always read and follow label directions. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Defensive tone in the grains and livestock, too. Grain futures following the broader markets lower with the coronavirus epidemic making its way to South Korea and Italy. It's a global risk-off day as the deepening spread of coronavirus to South Korea, Italy, and Iran has worried investors that a global health pandemic could be developing that lowers world GDP rates. The beginning of another week in the grains, beginning with the same question that's been lingering on the mind of traders for weeks. Will this be the week that China begins to buy larger quantities of U.S. grain exports? Mexico purchasing 163,290 metric tons of U.S. soybeans for delivery during the 2019-2020 marketing year, according to USDA on the Daily Wire. March soybeans an hour into the day, down 16 and a quarter, 874 and a quarter. November 905, down 12 and a half. March corn down five and a quarter at 371 and three quarters. December 381 and a half, down four and a half cents. Chicago wheat March down 13 and a half at 537 and a half. Kansas City March down 11 and a half at 457. Minneapolis Spring Wheat March down eight and a quarter at 517 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the Merck, live cattle limit down at one point early in the session. April down two dollars eighty-seven cents at one fifteen thirty-seven. Feeder cattle April down two dollars seventy cents one thirty-nine forty. Lean hogs April sixty-four seventy down two dollars and thirty-two cents. The Dow down seven hundred ninety points. S and P down eighty-eight. April crude oil down two ten a barrel. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. 
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. Joining us now is Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, thank you for joining us. I want to talk about the situation in China, the ongoing uh, situation with the coronavirus, health officials still trying to get it under control. It's now spreading to more and more countries. It's certainly having quite an impact, a very negative impact on the Chinese economy, which, of course, impacts uh, trade between the U.S. and China. Uh, how concerned are you about uh, China being able to live up to the phase one agreement, uh, especially when it comes to pork purchases? Well, Mike, the worst-kept secret in the world is that China is really short on pork. When you have approximately 50% of your hogs knocked out and you're the biggest producer and consumer of pork, there's without question um, an opportunity for global exporters. But if I had to pick one word to sum up what the state of relations on pork trade or pork exports have been between the U.S. and China the past two years, that word is uncertainty. And that unfortunately continues to carry the day. It's, it's normal around the time of, of Chinese New Year, the Lunar New Year, to have a slowdown in commerce. That's typical. What's made this a really irregular situation, of course, is, is the coronavirus. And obviously, it's not just pork. It's not just agriculture. It's not just the United States. And it's not just the U.S. and China. It's um, global trade and supply chains being impacted. So, you know, the uncertainty continues. But when we look at the opportunity in China and we look at the commitments that the Chinese have made to purchase pork, other food and ag products, and really a lot of a lot of products spanning the U.S. economy, um, we're, we're, we're holding our breath and hoping that the tide turns. It's a situation now as this virus continues to spread. Uh, we're hearing more and more about how it impacts uh, all levels. I mean, even from you can, you can send a ship load of uh, product to China and they may not have the workers available to unload it. Uh, uh, 
we hear about even shortages in in grocery stores and things like that. Uh, so. Uh, it seems like this situation is far from being under control, and every day we we hear more and more impact uh, above and beyond, of course, just the concern of human health, but all these other areas as well. Yeah, there's no question, Mike. This is a big deal, and it's a big deal, you know, not just for China, not just for pork, not just for U.S. ag exports, but really for the global economy. And, you know, this is, is spreading. It's in... Um, South Korea, Italy now, other countries, um, you know, it's an issue. But again, um, we've weathered quite the storm here. I think, you know, if, if you told me two years ago that with record U.S. hog and pork production coming and with um, extraordinarily large punitive tariffs being put on in both China and Mexico, that we'd be able to weather the storm, I'd, you know, I'd say, really? Wow, that would be fantastic. So it's been a tough two years, but um, we've weathered the storm. And I think, again, if China needs any single product, it's pork. And remember, this isn't just a, well, we need to keep our commitment to the U.S. This is, hey, we have to manage food price inflation. And when you consider all the other challenges that China has, not only coronavirus, but when you consider and and not only the the trade situation with the United States, but when you consider other issues, Hong Kong and so on, that China is trying to manage, the last thing they want is food price inflation. And while we don't know that pork is the single biggest factor in the consumer price index in China, We do know that it is a very significant part of the consumer price index, and they've got to manage food price inflation, which tells me as soon as they can get those grocery shelves full, as soon as they start to be getting back to normal, they're going to be as focused on pork, if not more, than any other single product in that economy. We're talking with Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel for Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, we're also watching, of course, the, the continued spread of African swine fever, uh, and that has been reported in Europe, even close to some of the major pork producing areas there, which are a bit, you know, which are a big supplier into China as well. That could impact uh, the balance of trade moving forward. Well, absolutely. And uh, National Pork Producers Council job number one is to keep ASF out of the country. We've been working very closely with uh, our industry partners and and more importantly with APHIS and with um, Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection. And we're going to continue doing our utmost to keep this horrible disease out. We just were successful in getting um, legislation through the Congress that increases the number of ag inspectors um, at the border. This is a big deal. Um, We're going to be working with other food and ag groups to make sure we get money appropriated to pay for that. So we've got the positions authorized. We need now to get money appropriated. And we continue to pretty much partner with anybody and everybody to make sure that we're doing our utmost to keep this horrible disease at our, at our, uh, far away from the United States and 
as we continue being successful doing that, knock on wood, the opportunities are going to be greater for the United States because, as you point out, um, this thing has spread, you know, beyond Russia, well into Europe. This thing has spread um, completely through China and now into, into other Asian nations. So the opportunity, um, as long as we keep this out, and we have every reason to believe that we can keep it out, um, the opportunities the next five years, once we weather this you know, most recent storm here in China, should be pretty good in spite of the fact that we have record hog and pork production in the United States. Nick, do you think it's realistic to think we'll have uh, an ag trade deal with Europe anytime soon? I'm very skeptical, but look, my hat's off to the administration, which I think they're being very practical and trying to pocket something now um, before the election and then come back for something bigger. So, you know, our in our movie, we get a comprehensive trade deal with the Europeans that looks like the 20 other U.S. free trade agreements, which means not only elimination of most tariffs and quotas, but also elimination of the non-tariff barriers, which in the case of the, U, the EU all this SPS regime, which is just ridiculous and non-science-based, our expectation is we get rid of them. And it's been a real delight to see the comments coming out of Secretary Purdue and Undersecretary McKinney and um, Trade Ambassador Lighthizer and Ag Ambassador Dowd. I think the administration knows the import that knows that we're getting a, a raw deal i mean ambassador dow just at the ag outlook forum you know came right out and said it that it's obscene and um i you know i i i yeah to me the europeans are stealing our jobs we're much more efficient in food and agriculture and ditto that in so many sectors across the economy and the europeans are going to have to understand that the marshall plan is over there's no such thing as a free lunch anymore, and we've got to have more reciprocal trade. And that, of course, means um, getting rid of tariff and non-tariff trade barriers in agriculture, but it also means across the U.S. economy. There are myriad opportunities that the U.S. is unable to exploit because of the barriers in Europe, and we've got to get rid of those barriers. Finally, Nick, with the president visiting India, a lot of talk about a deal possible with India. Do you see any agricultural uh, opportunities there for us? Oh, absolutely. On, on pork, we're not a politically sensitive item. We've been pushing this going back to the Obama administration. We got to get in. We got to get into India. Just a small piece of that market would be a lot of pork sales. But when you look at other food and ag products, uh, dairy, poultry, Man, across the spectrum, um, there's great opportunity for the U.S. I know the administration's working hard on this. We've always felt that pork should be a very easy, one of the first deliverables. I don't think the president is going to come back with a deal or strike a deal with Modi, but I think the U.S. and India are getting close, and we're optimistic that hopefully before the end of the year, we get market access for pork into India. All right, that's Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel for Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. 
All right, so we'll watch and see. Again, as Nick said, it doesn't look like there's going to be a trade deal announced between the U.S. and India, but uh, talks will continue, and there's still hope that some uh, something could get worked out. Meanwhile, yet Nick, as you heard, had some strong uh, views and opinions and thoughts on the situation, ag trade situation with the European Union. Switching over to beef, there are concerns in the U.S. beef industry because USDA on Friday has opened the door again to imports of raw beef from Brazil. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association saying it has serious concerns with that lifting of the ban to Brazilian beef. So that's the story we're going to be watching. Speaking of the beef industry, we're going to talk with Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, next about this new coalition of ag groups dealing with sustainability. We'll talk about that next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Several ag groups have gone together to form a Farmers for a Sustainable Future Coalition. One of those groups being the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Their chief environmental counsel, Scott Yeager, joins us now. Scott, thank you for being with us. Let's talk about this coalition. Uh, There's always a question about what is sustainability? And you talk to different people. They have different definitions. Uh, Is there a, a common definition among the ag groups of what sustainability is or does everyone is that part of what's going to have to be kind of defined moving forward where are we on this it's a good it's a good question and i think every it's such a buzzword uh sustainability but i can tell you in the case of the farmers for a sustainable future we are very focused on the climate conversation and the greenhouse gas emissions conversation and as you mentioned, uh, there, there are a number of groups involved here. There are now over 21 different national agri- uh, production ag groups that are a part of this coalition. And we had our uh, official press event last week to announce uh, this coalition. Well, I think it's very important. This coalition, I think, is very important because there is going to be considerable debate, conversation, and I think policy on climate change moving forward and a lot of that will impact agriculture. So if agriculture is not at the table, they're going to have they're going to be things coming down that will impact agriculture, and they may not like some of the decisions. So you need to be in on the decision making process. You've got to be, and in fact, that was a big part of the reason that this group came together. We actually formed about a year ago, and it was in response to all the dust being kicked up by the Green New Deal. Uh, a lot of our, our members know about that. We don't like it uh, because of the way that it characterizes uh, beef cattle. Um, so we, uh, this effort is really a, this coalition effort is really a way to try to get in front of the climate conversation. And right now in Washington D.C., the climate conversation is a really hot issue. In the House of Representatives, there's been over 28 
different hearings on that in the past year alone. So it's really something that, as agriculture, we need to engage in. And this coalition, Farmers for a Sustainable Future, is a great way for us to get our message out there about the sustainability of agriculture and the, and the uh, you know, something we get colored, something that we get colored uh, and mischaracterized by often uh, by, uh, by groups that, that are opposed to agriculture is, is uh, a number of UN reports that say that agriculture is responsible by something on the order of over 20% of greenhouse gas emissions. Well, that is not the case here in the United States, and that's because we have a very efficient system. Our uh, greenhouse gas emissions are much, much lower than the rest of the world, and that's something uh, that we're getting out there uh, by virtue of this coalition, by putting that information in front of uh, legislators and saying, hey, before you start drafting bills, look at the actual data that goes along with our agricultural system here in the United States. For example, our beef cattle uh, in the United States have 10 to 50 times lower emissions than the rest of the world. And that's something that we can stand behind because we're efficient, we use conservation practices, and we do better than the rest of the world. So if anything, we should be exporting more of our products to other parts of the world, and in doing so, we'd actually be reducing greenhouse gas emissions globally. We'd be helping to solve the, the, the perceived issue that uh, policymakers in D.C. are dealing with. Yes, so U.S. agriculture has a good story to tell. Getting the right people, the policy uh, decision makers, to listen because some of them probably have these uh, misperceptions in mind, things that they've heard that somehow agriculture is causing the problem rather than seeing it as a part of the solution. So the job will be to get the message to them and to convince them. And then the key will be, will they accept what agriculture is doing and maybe even try to incentivize moving even more? Or are they going to just say that's not enough and start passing policies and mandates and things like that that uh, would in have a negative impact on agriculture. Exactly. And then that's when we go from the data piece of it to the conversation about, well, what do we all agree on as agriculture? And I think this broad coalition has agreed on a number of different uh, policy principles, including incentivizing innovation, like you mentioned. Uh, you know what? We, we are in favor of, of voluntary programs and voluntary initiatives. We're not in favor of regulatory mandates. Um, we like research. We think research and science-based research uh, is good and will help us in this conversation. Um, and then as well as things like having uh, more resilient infrastructure. For example, uh, you know, making sure that farm roads are usable and we can get our products from farm to, from, uh, from gate to plate. Um, those types of infrastructure uh, projects can actually help us in this conversation as well. And then focusing on outcomes. What we don't need is more uh, uh, paperwork, more reports that our guys have to file with the government. Uh, so less paperwork, more outcome-based. Let's talk about what we can do as agriculture to help move the ball forward, and we have a really good story to tell here, and we can, we can be a part of that. Um, so those are our six overarching principles that this coalition has uh, coalesced around and that we'll be talking about more in this coming year. Yeah, we have to get past the debate or the argument is is climate change man-made or naturally occurring. Move beyond that and and deal with uh, these issues uh, on policy and and where we're at and where we're going to be going moving forward. Right? Absolutely. And and honestly, you know, ranchers across the country have you know everyone has a different perspective on the climate change issue. But what matters at the end of the day and what we're moving forward is that regardless of what 
you may think about it. You've got a lot of consumers out there that are making their purchasing decisions based on that. So if we can get out there and tell the good story that our producers are being a part of in this conversation, I think that's going to change the hearts and minds of consumers across the country. Yeah, that's another big part of this consumer perception of agriculture and what agriculture is doing uh, on the climate change issue. That's that's a big part of this as well. All right, Scott, thank you very much. We look forward to uh, uh, reporting on the work of this coalition. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Again, a reminder, Thursday and Friday, I'll be broadcasting from Commodity Classic in San Antonio. Have a great day. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres, that's smart. In 2019, trials across 10 Midwest states, Credence Soybeans with Liberty Link GT27 averaged 1.8 bushels per acre more than the competitive Enlist E3 soybeans and 1.5 bushels per acre more than the competitive Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credence with Liberty Link GT27. Always read and follow label directions.